Hey everyone, this is Hannah, this is Texas 1031, and this is a Texas true crime podcast. Today I'm going to be telling you all about the murder of Wendy Marshall in Cypress, Texas. Um, I actually heard about this case from a guy my husband works with who eventually became one of his good friends, so Tang, thank you for the suggestion. So before I get started, I'd like to briefly explain why I was... MIA for so long and what is to come regarding the podcast. So in early July, my mom fell. She broke her wrist, her pelvis, and some ribs. So I've kind of just been taking care of her, dealing with all of her health needs. We've had to put her into a couple different rehabs, um, dealing with selling her house, getting her placed into an assisted living facility, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. I have also been in preparation for starting the, um, this is kind of big news, I guess, not really, no one probably cares, but for me, it's big news, the Houston Police Department's Police Academy, which if everything goes according to plan, I will start in January. So I haven't been intentionally putting the podcast on the back burner. I have just been incredibly busy and sidetracked with very little free time. Um, However, my therapist told me that I needed to get back into my hobbies for the sake of my mental health. So that is what I'm doing. Um, I did delete the podcasts, Instagram and Facebook in like a manic episode, or at least I attempted to. I think they will fully disappear by like mid-October. But I did so because it was just too much to manage and to keep up with. It's not like I was getting like bombarded with like a fuck ton of messages or anything, but there was like definitely a a lot and people wanted me to, I don't know, it it, it was getting hectic, especially with just me being part of like managing the social media when before it was like between both Cassie and I. So I just, I wanted the show to be as easy and stress-free for me to maintain. And if it is, in turn, I will keep up with it more, um, if that makes sense. But if you want to reach out to me with a suggestion or a question or a comment or a complaint or whatever, you can still email me at texas1031podcast at gmail.com. No numbers, all letters spelled out, whatever we used to say back in the day. Um, Anyways, I am going to put out two episodes this month. Um, This one, as well as a Halloween episode, as usual. I feel like even if (laughs) for, I don't know, for whatever reason, I never record again, I feel like I will always put out a Halloween episode just to keep the feed fresh (laughs) yearly. Um, I don't know. I will do my best to continue to put out at least an episode per month as long as I can. I know I've kind of gone back and forth with you know, this whole project in itself, like I'll be consistent for a few months and then I'll totally fall out of, you know, not love with it, but I just lose momentum and steam. Um, I don't know, you know, I'll just, I'll do my best. I'm sorry. I keep, keep, um, stringing you guys along with inconsistencies, but, um, lastly, I think Spotify, automatically added a Q&A section to the last episode and I went to check my like Spotify for podcasters account or whatever just last week because you can like check your your downloads your listens your kind of your data essentially and I saw that a listener named Ashley asked if the podcast was coming back and she was like, I have to mentally prepare for it if it you know if it wasn't if it was coming to an end but to answer your question Ashley no, it is not over like I just kind of went over. I I would honestly like to at least get to 100 episodes before I throw in the towel, but I think I will probably continue to make content for as long as I feel like I have time to. 
even if like no one listens anymore, people like stop following or like unsubscribe or whatever. Um, it may not be as consistent, like I said, as it used to be, but I am definitely not going anywhere anytime soon. So, um, with that said, let me pause, take a sip of drink, um, and I will be right back. Okay. Anyways, on to the episode. So picture it, Cypress, Texas, 2013. Uh, Cypress is just a Northern suburb of Houston. So on Friday, November 1st, 44-year-old Wendy Marshall had plans to have dinner with her parents, Paul and Gigi. The dinner wasn't just a normal weekly get-together, far from it, actually. Um, So that Friday, Wendy was actually supposed to be celebrating her engagement. Earlier that week, her boyfriend, 28-year-old Colt Morgan, had proposed to Wendy. And as any woman would, she wanted to commemorate this new milestone in her life and her relationship. However, when the night came and Wendy and Colt never arrived at the restaurant, Paul Marshall began to get a little worried. He initially thought that perhaps the couple decided to skip, you know, the whole long engagement song and dance and simply elope. Paul also knew that Colt wasn't the most socially outgoing person, and he figured that Colt and Wendy just wanted to do something private, just the two of them, possibly over the weekend. But when Paul still hadn't heard from Wendy by Sunday, November 3rd, and he couldn't reach her by phone... He decided to drive over to Wendy's house to see if he could figure out what was going on. Upon entering the home, Paul noticed several odd things throughout the house, namely that Wendy's purse and cell phone were left on the kitchen table and her car was still in the driveway. Additionally, her clothes were laid out on her bed, seemingly in preparation for her next day at work. Besides this, the house looked fairly normal otherwise. However, knowing in his gut that something just wasn't right, Paul places a call to the Harris County Sheriff's Department and reports his daughter missing. Not long after Paul called the Sheriff's Department, a patrol deputy would meet with him and gather some basic information from him about Wendy and the scene at the home. Realizing that Wendy's disappearance may be more than what it seems, two days later, on November 5th, the patrol deputy would reach out to a fairly new homicide investigator, Deputy Michael Ritchie, to brief him on Wendy's case. The two deputies meet up to discuss Wendy's file and what has been discovered thus far. Immediately, Deputy Ritchie knew he needed to get started that night. So Ritchie calls up Paul Marshall and has Paul meet him at Wendy's home. Paul explained to Ritchie that for Wendy to up and vanish like this was incredibly unusual. You see, Wendy had recently been contracted to work for a company called Airly Keyed. This was and is a very well-known and established industrial gas company with one of its headquarters located in Houston. According to Paul, Wendy was actually going to be offered a permanent position within the company just a couple of weeks after her disappearance. Essentially, her job was incredibly important to her, and she was also a very bright and intelligent woman, so not showing up to her job or staying in touch with her family was completely out of character for her. Paul also tells Richie that the last time he spoke to Wendy was about a week prior on October 29th. Paul remembers the phone call vividly. He told Richie that the conversation between he and Wendy wasn't just a typical check-in chit-chat. Rather, Wendy divulged that her boyfriend Colt had proposed and the two were going to be getting married. The phone conversation was awkward, to say the least. Paul was stunned and didn't really know what to say. 
He explained to Deputy Ritchie that he and his wife Gigi had relentlessly tried to get to know Colt for the time that he had been dating and living with Wendy. Time after time, holiday after holiday, or special occasion, they would invite him out and try to get to know him. But according to Paul, Colt always declined, stating he had other things to do or he would just never show up. Wendy always explained away Colt's behavior as that he was just socially awkward or self-conscious. Paul also told Richie that Colt had previously worked in construction, but had recently been unemployed after serving a 60-day sentence for a DWI. He had also been charged with felony burglary in April of 2010 and spent two years in prison. In Paul's mind, Colt wasn't the best fit for Wendy in numerous ways, but Paul and Gigi didn't really ever push the issue. Wendy was an adult, and Paul knew that commenting on the matter may just push Wendy away when all was said and done. Paul told Richie, you know, what I already went over, that he offered to have a celebratory dinner with Colt and Wendy on Friday, November 1st. And, you know, they there they would discuss future wedding plans, things like that. But when the couple no-showed on the prearranged dinner date, Paul figured that Wendy and Colt, you know, had decided to elope rather than face the awkward conversations about the future, if Colt was going to get a job and starting a family, things like that. Paul further explained that he wasn't too worried when the couple didn't arrive for dinner that Friday, but again, when he couldn't get a hold of Wendy, he began to panic further, soon realizing he had no way of getting a hold of Colt either, since he didn't know his new son-in-law's cell phone number. Paul told Deputy Ritchie that this was when he decided to head to Wendy's home that Sunday and subsequently report her as missing. Paul relayed the items he found inside Wendy's home, but he elaborates further, telling Richie that he also found a handwritten note left inside Wendy's purse written to her from Colt. Paul told Richie that the note was odd. Among other things, the note contained a very strange apology about how Colt didn't finish painting in time and essentially messed up a paint job he was supposed to complete within the house. Paul then explained that he set the note aside and turned his attention to Wendy's cell phone, thinking he might be able to get some sense of who she had last spoken with by checking her call history. More importantly, he also wanted to try and speak with Colt. Surprisingly, Paul had been able to get Colt on the phone, but Colt told Paul, I feel like I just keep repeating their names over and over again, uh, Colt told Paul he hadn't heard from Wendy since Thursday, October 31st. Dang, maybe I should have saved this one for my Halloween episode after all. Um, oh, well. So during this phone call, Colt evidently tells Paul that on Wednesday, October 30th, he and Wendy were at home and the two got into some sort of argument. Wendy left the house in a green car with a girlfriend named either Mindy or Cindy. And again, that he hadn't spoken to her since the next day on Halloween night. He also told Paul that he left town as well and went to Palestine, Texas to stay with a friend named uh, James Linus. Interesting. Um, yeah, a lot of coming and going and never coming back between two people who were supposed to get married, uh, if you ask me. So Paul explains to Richie that after he spoke with Colt, he looked through Wendy's phone and couldn't find any contact listed with the name of Cindy or Mindy, nor had he ever really heard her mention a friend by that name. So I mean, Paul is like really out here doing the Lord's work. Uh, what a guy. So Paul then makes one last attempt with Wendy's phone and calls back another number. This one was listed as one of the last calls he that was made from Wendy's phone. The call reaches a man named Eric Walcott. Paul asks Eric, hey, you know, why did you call Wendy the other night? And Eric says, well, Wendy didn't call me. It was actually Colt. 
So at this point in the conversation between Paul and Richie, he he hangs up his detective hat and hands over Wendy's cell phone to Richie so he and the rest of the investigative team can dive deeper into her cell phone records to potentially find out more. Before leaving Wendy's house, Richie does a walkthrough of the home just to carry out a basic search for his initial report. While Paul waits in the kitchen, Richie decides to head through the hallway to the primary bedroom. He immediately takes note of the hallway walls as these were mentioned in Colt's note to Wendy. Richie could see the half-assed paint job Colt had been apologizing for. Haphazard brushstrokes were carelessly wiped along the walls, leaving a splotchy appearance across the length of the hallway. Richie realized that it was incredibly apparent what Colt Morgan had been doing. Flecks of blood were still visible on the edges of Wendy's bedroom doorframe, as well as on the carpet near the hallway area. It was obvious that some sort of violent altercation had occurred, and he and Paul Marshall needed to get out of the house ASAP and get a proper search warrant. While the request for a search warrant was being processed, Richie reaches out to Colt's friend, Eric Walcott. Richie meets up with Eric to discuss what Colt was doing, calling him from Wendy's phone and just what the fuck was really going on on or around Halloween. Eric tells Richie that Colt had called him and told him that he and Wendy had gotten into an argument and asked Eric for a ride. Eric told Richie that he went to Wendy's house and picked up Colt and then dropped him off at Colt's car that had been parked at an industrial business park a few miles away. Eric said all of that was good and normal, but the strangest part of their interaction was when he looked down at Colt's right hand and there was a huge gash on his palm. Stranger, though, was Colt's response to how he got the cut on his hand. Anyone want to take any guesses? Um, No? Yeah? Okay, yeah. No, you're wrong. Um, It was not that. Colt tells Eric he slashed his right hand while opening a pack of hot dogs. Yeah. Richie leaves his meeting with Eric Walcott with really more questions than answers, but he does get word that his search warrant request was approved and the investigation inside Wendy's home is about to begin. So the next day, unexpectedly, while on scene preparing to initiate the search of the home, Richie receives a phone call from none other than the creepy standoffish fiancé-to-be Colt Morgan. Colt tells Richie, hey, yeah, um, I heard from my friend James that you guys were looking for me, so I thought I would call. Um, so Richie is obviously glad that Colt you know, reaches out to him, but he is hesitant to let Colt know that he is a homicide investigator, and he simply tells Colt that he has been assigned to Wendy's missing persons case since Paul had reported her missing the week prior. While on the call, Richie attempts to gather some information from Colt, but nothing is really adding up. Colt's dates and times are off when compared to what Paul had told Richie. More importantly, Richie thought that, you know, if the woman you were dating and newly engaged to went missing, why would you head several hours away and not wonder what happened to her, regardless of if you had an argument the last time you saw one another, which I think is a great fucking question. Um, So when Richie ends the call with Colt, um, he knows that he was just fed a fuck ton of information that was most likely lies. He knew that even though finding and speaking to Colt Morgan in person was important, what took precedent now was the search of Wendy's home. So investigators, forensic technicians, and multiple deputies inundate the home on the 1200 block of Fleur Drive in Cyprus. The bloody spattered walls and the stained carpet were now the least of law enforcement's worries. During the execution of the search warrant, the attention of the investigators was soon drawn towards the home's fireplace. It was very apparent that it had recently been used, which, 
you know, for South Texas in October is quite rare. At first glance, it was clear that some miscellaneous fabric had been burned along with a sponge and some other unidentified items. Despite the investigation at the home heating up, um, no, <laughs> no fireplace, pun intended. Sorry about that one. Um, Deputy Ritchie also knows he probably needs to head on over to Palestine to see if he can catch Colt at his friend's house and try and get an in-person interview before Colt kind of figures out what's going on and, you know, decides to skip town. So Richie leaves investigators to continue the search at Wendy's home and drives to James, God, this is hard to say, James Linus's, that's too many S's, house in Palestine to try and interview Colt. His goal was really to just get his story, what happened and when. Richie didn't want to bombard Colt with too much and scare him off. He just wanted to get his side of things and really kind of just see what Colt came up with. Surprisingly, Colt is still at James's house, and he and Richie sit down to talk. Richie asks Colt about his hand, knowing the excuse Eric Walcott had told him before. Colt tells the same story. He cut it while opening a pack of hot dogs, blah, 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 which, you know, if I think about it, like, it's not the best excuse in the world, but honestly, some of those, like, sausage and or hot dog or brat packages, those motherfuckers are suctioned so tight or they're, like, air sealed and they're really fucking hard to open. Like, if you if you screw up your scissors or your knife, like, I don't know. I could kind of see it. Like, again, not the best excuse. I give them an E for effort, but, like, I don't know. Be smarter next time you're free from prison. Um, so, like, knowing the hot dog excuse is you know not real Richie decides to lie to Colt and tell him well yeah you know the hot dog theory yeah that's not what I heard just to see what Colt says in response and Colt takes the bait he goes from yeah this was a pesky hot dog package to full-on physical assault with a deadly weapon Colt tells Richie he had a fight with Wendy and she came at him with a kitchen knife he, of course, claims that he blocked the knife, which caused the gash in his hand. He also admits to hitting Wendy in the face when she cut him, causing her to get a nosebleed. I think that this was maybe his attempt at uh, trying to provide some sort of reason why her blood would be there. But like your your nose doesn't bleed that much, silly. Um Colt attempts to stick to his story of not seeing or talking to Wendy since Halloween night. But again, you know, he gets his story confused on who picked him up along with when and where. So overall, Colt Morgan's alibi and stories were just totally inconsistent. Richie does his due diligence and gets a picture of Colt's hand for reference. He also takes Colt's vehicle in as evidence. Uh, however, the car later comes back clean, tying nothing in Colt's car to the crime scene or to Wendy's disappearance, probably because he parked it far away and cleaned up before he got back in it after killing Wendy. You know, was it planned? Leaving the car uh, uh, beats me. Is it a little convenient that the car can't be tied to the crime scene and you have Eric Walcott as a witness? Yes, I think that's very convenient. Um, do I think he's smart enough to plan that out? No, I don't know. I just, it's convenient. That's all I'll say. So back in Cyprus, ensuring that they take every precaution, Richie and his fellow investigators canvass the small neighborhood and cul-de-sac where Wendy's home was located, speaking to Wendy's neighbors about her disappearance. Many of the neighbors tell Richie that they remember a fire and smoke coming from the chimney of Wendy's home. They recall the fire burning all night, and more than anything, they remember the smell, commenting that it smelled off like burning plastic. 
The neighbors admitted that it was odd to have a fire that early on in the Texas autumn, but they figured it could have been a Halloween prank and just brushed it off. I don't really know like what kind of prank that would have been. Like, ooh, you got me. You're having a fire in your chimney. Crazy. Um, anyway, so soon a major event in the case would officially elevate the disappearance of Wendy Marshall to the murder of Wendy Marshall. After the forensic team completed their review of the home, it was clear that the entire bathroom was most likely the main crime scene and where Wendy Marshall was killed. Blood soaked through the rugs and carpets, revealing a violent attack that resulted in the death of Wendy. Furthermore, carelessly discarded and buried in the backyard of the home were several pieces of the charred remains of her body, including her skull. Some of her fingers and her ankle bones were located lingering still in the fireplace underneath the ash as well. Along with her dismembered bones, several of Wendy's garden tools would be tested and have you know, residual human tissue found on them. It was apparent to Deputy Richie that Wendy had most likely been stabbed to death in a very violent manner and either dismembered and then burned or burned and then dismembered. There was some debate on that. And then lastly, arbitrarily buried in the yard and like not even all of her, just like he got too busy to finish up grabbing that last ankle bone and covering up that little bit of blood spatter. He just um, couldn't be bothered, I guess. Murder charges were immediately filed against Colt Morgan on or around November 11th. But by the time investigators made it back to James Linus's home in Palestine, Colt had already fled, as most likely expected. Harris County goes to work notifying all of the surrounding towns, cities, and counties near Palestine. They advise every department and media outlet possible of Wendy's case and the fact that her killer, Colt Morgan, is on the run and to be on the lookout. So one of these small towns near Palestine is called Buffalo. It's about 35 minutes southwest. Um, and by this point in the investigation, it's nearing Thanksgiving and about 11 days after Colt goes AWOL, an unexpected burglary occurs at a local man's house in Buffalo. He reports that some of his camping and outdoor gear was stolen along with his ATV, as well as a 40 caliber Glock handgun. Uh, every every small town, they like to quote, you know, that famous phrase of like, things like this, they just don't happen around here. Like, how many times have I mentioned that on this podcast? Well, Buffalo was no exception, okay? They were upset by this burglary. And, you know, they worried. They, they might have this dangerous person in their Americana, Jesus-loving, guns-a-blazing quaint town. I mean, you have less than 1,800 people living there. It starts to get fucking weird. Like, who who stole my shit, you know? So the local Buffalo PD is taking this whole thing very seriously. These guys aren't fucking around. And I don't mean that sarcastically. This police department does a great job. On November 23rd, a few officers are on a stakeout and get a call about a suspicious person walking around the side of a house claiming that he was just walking home, which kind of sounds innocent, but also kind of sketch. So officers show up and you guys, there is full on um, dash cam footage of this altercation. Okay. So spoiler alert, it is obviously Colt Morgan. Um, the lurking stranger fiance killer is hiding out in Buffalo, stealing people's camping gear, 
uh, more or less trying to just rough it outside, okay? The officer tries to talk to Colt. He attempts to pat him down, but the two men get into a fight with each other. And in the tussle, a gun falls out of Colt's pants or his pocket or whatever. And lo and behold, it is the stolen 40 caliber Glock. The officer on scene tries to successfully discharge a taser when Colt took off and one prong hit him, but the other didn't lock on. So Colt managed to escape. At this point, like they only thought that this guy was connected to the home burglary in town. It wasn't until they reviewed the dash cam footage that Buffalo PD realized, oh, fuck, this is that guy who who was wanted by um, the Harris County Sheriff's. So a press conference regarding Colt Morgan is led by the Buffalo PD's chief and more or less like the entire town. (laughs) They partner with. Montgomery County, the Texas State Police, DPS, game wardens, Leon County Sheriff's Department, the Texas Rangers, like all these motherfuckers were involved in trying to apprehend Colt Morgan. Despite their efforts, though, two weeks would pass without a sighting of Colt. Later on, here and there, Buffalo PD would get a call saying that they saw him on a certain road or out in the woods in a makeshift tent, which there are pictures of this like weird, like he used like FEMA black, like tarps to like make this weird tent in the woods Um, but no one could ever zero in on him and it was getting frustrating you know they had him right there on the run still lingering in town but nobody could nail him down like this guy was so brazen though like I read that he actually applied for a job at a buffalo pizza hut like he is just out there living no dead fiance no cops wanting to speak to me no house no problem like he is one with nature like what a life like the things the things you will do to not go back to prison I guess um so finally though on December 10th Adrian Vargas gem of all gems went into work as a maintenance man at a local motel in Buffalo as he enters the maintenance supply and storage shed he makes an interesting discovery laying in a sleeping bag on the floor of the small building was a man that Adrian immediately recognizes as Colt Morgan because remember The police department made sure every single last Buffalonian or whatever knew that Colt Morgan was on the loose. So Adrian does his concerned citizen duty of the year and he contacts Buffalo PD. Several officers arrive at the motel and head toward the maintenance shed. Realizing he had been found, Colt takes off and with the other officers in fast pursuit behind him. The officers and the chief, Chief Pavelka, who genuinely seems like a great fucking guy, Um, They are able to finally corner him in the woods before he is able to make another escape. According to Chief Pavelka, Colt looked fucking rough, like he had been on the run for six weeks and was struggling. When Colt's temporary hideout in the shed was searched more thoroughly, officers found a .22 rifle with a homemade silencer that he had made out of a Coke bottle. So they were incredibly lucky that he didn't actually take off with the gun and run with the gun. Um, again, this guy really did not want to go back to prison. So like anything that could prevent that he was attempting. So news of Colt's capture reaches deputy Richie back in Houston. And of course the first thing he does is reach out to Paul Marshall, Wendy's father. And then just six, six hours after Colt's arrest, he was being interviewed by Richie in Buffalo. Richie could also tell that Colt appeared, you know, frail and tired, like Pavelka had noticed when he arrested him. His current state kind of gave them hope that Colt might confess and essentially give it up easier now that he had been on the run for so long and finally caught. 
So within the first hour or so of the interview, Richie mainly kind of stuck to conversational questions, primarily about Colt's relationship with Wendy, but eventually he segued into the night of October 30th. For whatever reason, Colt decided it would be smart to tell Richie that he actually didn't kill Wendy. No, 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 no. Rather, she killed herself. Then he did what he did, a.k.a. burning her and burying her remains in the yard. The interview got kind of dicey when Colt kept throwing around the fact that, you know, maybe I should get an attorney and have an attorney present. Um, however, he never came right out and said, yeah, I'm done talking to you and I want a lawyer. Like he never went that far. It was always kind of this like veil threat, veil vague. Oh my God. Did I just fuck that up? Probably. It was a threat. (laughs) I don't know how to speak. So to ensure the interrogation maintained its integrity, Richie called off the interview and gets Colt loaded up into a police unit to be taken back down to Harris County. About two hours into the drive back to Houston, Colt decides he possibly wants to talk. He begs Richie for a decent meal and in return, he'll tell him whatever he wants to know. So Richie plays along and when they get back to the sheriff's office, Richie and Colt sit down yet again. Richie has held up his end of the bargain and gets Colt a burger and fries in hopes that Colt will finally divulge the truth about what happened with Wendy, but immediately Colt starts in with his lies about Wendy's suicide. Which, remember, just a little, here's some facts here, okay? That would mean that she stabbed herself to death, okay? So in 2021, firearms were the most common method of death by suicide, accounting for a little more than half, about like 54%. The next most common were suffocation, including hangings, that's 25%. Poisoning, including drug overdoses, at 11%. Suicide by self-stabbing is very uncommon, constituting for 1% to 3% of suicide attempts. So does it happen? Yes. Is it rare? Absolutely. And it usually, you know, it's maybe one or two stab strikes, not numerous, which is how she was killed. So... The suicide um, theory, go fuck yourself. Um, So yeah, like us, Richie wasn't buying it, obviously, and decides to, in his own words, quote, pull at Colt's heartstrings, end quote. Richie said things like, you know, this was just a mistake. I'm sure things just got out of control and you didn't mean to do it, right? Just trying to get him to feel more comfortable with, you know, giving over the truth, essentially. Richie remembered how the interview room was silent for a few moments as Colt Morgan looked down at his hands on the table. He looked defeated and ready to give up the truth. And with that, Colt said, I did it. But not really. (laughs) Colt claimed that he didn't really know what came over him exactly, but he and Wendy had begun to argue on the night of October 30th. He couldn't really recall what they were even arguing over. He claims Wendy tried to stab him and he grabbed the knife from her. We've we've heard this, right? He pulls the knife away, or he pulls his hand away, gets the blade, slices it on his hand, causing the injury to his palm. We've already heard that. It still doesn't really make sense because that type of wound is usually received when you are stabbing someone and your hand slips like down onto the blade because your hand is bloody. But OK, sure. Yeah, let's go with that. That's fine. Um, but eventually, according to Colt, the argument just got out of control and he accidentally fatally stabs her in more or less self-defense. He tells Richie that he decides that in order to cover up the accident, he has to dismember and burn her remains in the fireplace and bury her. Right. Yeah, of course. Natural. The interview ends and Colt is taken into custody and he is put in jail for 
almost four years, about three and a half at this point. The possibility for a trial, it is just dragged off and on for several years. Like I said, prosecutors warned Paul Marshall Wendy would be made out to be the perpetrator of her own death since Colt was still in his own way, you know, claiming self-defense. Finally, though, after months of back and forth with talks of a plea deal on March 8th, 2016, Colt Morgan pleads guilty to murder and is sentenced to 40 years in prison, finally just sparing the marshals a murder trial. Just before the court was adjourned, Wendy's father held up a large picture of his daughter and told Colt, quote, your senseless and barbaric murder of our daughter will never dim our memories of Wendy. Colt Morgan is currently in the Wynn unit in Huntsville, Texas, and is eligible for parole in 2033, but is scheduled for release in 2053. There isn't much known online, at least, about Wendy, but what I did find was appealing, at least to me. So... Wendy Gale Marshall was born on October 3rd, 1969, and died on October 30th, 2013. So I think if you're going to live and die, I'd say that those are great dates to do so. That may be crass to some people, but that's that's the, the silver lining I guess I could find um, in this whole situation. But yeah, that is the murder of Wendy Marshall. Fuck you, Colt Morgan. Your name sounds like a loser drug addict line cook, which you were. So um, let's do a very short questions and theories. I don't really have any questions, but I suppose my theory is the simplest one. I think that Wendy probably made decent money and Colt, again, was a fucking loser, like I said, who saw a potentially easy target in Wendy. I think she was older and more educated and more established and successful than him by a fucking long shot. And she unfortunately was probably manipulated by him to some extent to be in a relationship with him. And this may come across as rude um, to some listeners, but Wendy was in her mid 40s and the ever present, you know, biological clock can be very real for some women. So maybe she was just happy to find a guy interested in her, whether that was real or not. And she settled for the younger dude with a criminal past. She is obviously not to blame for her death for dating Colt Morgan, but I think it could just be the situation of it was the wrong guy at the wrong time. Like he could have done this to anyone. It wasn't her. Um, and he blatantly and senselessly victimized her. I think that he used Wendy as his personal bank account and a place to live. I think that on the 30th or the 31st, whichever date, you know, he wants to really put out there, they got into an argument possibly regarding his drug use or his addiction to LSD, which his attorney claimed caused, you know, this whole incident to transpire. Um, or maybe they were arguing about his unemployment or his, you know, DWI stuff or their engagement. Who knows? And he just fucking killed her because he was violent and shitty and he was just a person who actually didn't even care about Wendy at all. I think he dismembered her and tried to cover, you know, that bloody mess up by painting over the blood spatter, obviously. He then he tried to make the note an explanation of like hide covering his tracks I, I, to explain the fresh paint, I guess, and then attempted to pull almost the same shit that Timothy Shepard did when he killed Tynesha Stewart. He dismembered her, painted the wall, burned her, buried her remains very poorly, I might add. I guess Timothy dumped Tynesha's remains. That's the only difference. But if Colt's original fake story was that Wendy left with her friend, Mindy or Cindy, then like, why didn't he have the forethought to take her purse and her phone kind of, 
you know, proving or going along with the fact that she left like that part, like leaving her stuff behind that didn't make much sense to me. Um, you know, he tried to get friends to cover for him on different days and places and times, but that got too convoluted. He couldn't keep that straight. So he just went on the run. I think, I think he would have tried to run forever, but, um, luckily he couldn't, but yeah, again, fuck you, Colt Morgan. Um, but that's it, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode and a special thanks to Tang again for the suggestion. You are always the best. Um, I will be back with more Texas true crime. The next episode will be our 2023 Halloween episode. So if anyone is listening, happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs>